Let us pray. Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. Your spirit, our teacher. And your greater glory, our concern. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to be back with you all again. Uh, thank you all for being faithful in my absence. The prayer that I prayed, the prayer that I opened up with, uh, is not my own. It is uh, the prayer, a uh, famous prayer, uh, from uh, the Reverend John Stott. Many of you all may know him. He is a famous Anglican theologian and priest. Uh, so famous, in fact, uh, when the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, uh, when he died, when, when uh, John Stott died, he said of John Stott that the world has lost a great Christian today, and many Christians will mourn his loss. The writings and the preachings and the sermons of John Stott were huge, and they had a huge impact. But what made them so effective? John Stott believed in biblical preaching. He preached the Bible. He believed the word of God to be true. In fact, he said to priests uh, one day, we speak because God has spoken. And if God hasn't spoken, then we have nothing to say. We have nothing to say. We must offer people, he says, God's words. Nothing more, nothing less. Why? Because he believed in the power of the word of God. He believed that the word of God was alive and active. He believed that the word of God would endure the test of time. He believed that after heaven and earth passed away, the word of God would remain. It was the word of God for John Stott that had power. He believed in it. Why? Because the word of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he believed like Paul. He's not ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. You see, for John Stott, he, he, the answer uh, to the world's problems, wasn't, it, it wasn't a political party. It wasn't somebody's idea or plan or good works or things like that. It was the power of the gospel. If the world was going to be changed and, 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 and done right and all things were going to be put together and in good order, that would only happen not through somebody's idea. It would only happen through the resurrection, through the resurrecting power and the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. And he wanted everybody to come to faith and believe in that power. So he preached it relentlessly. He would preach long sermons, hard so that people would understand that it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus Christ himself, the son of God, who will be able to change this age. If we have hope, we only hope in Jesus Christ. We believe that as Christians, right? Yes. Yes, we believe that. Amen. There we go. There we go. Work with me. Work with me. Amen. Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> Y'all know I come from the Pentecostal church. Don't play with me now. <laughs> No, it, but, but it's the power of God. It's the word of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that will change the world. He believed that. He believed that. He believed that Jesus Christ was the word of God, was the express word of God. He, was the Im he believed, as Colossians says, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you've got your Bibles, uh, I invite you to go to Colossians with me. 
I want to show you some things. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Your Bible should be uh, in the pew in front of you. If not, then uh, go ahead and lean over with your neighbor. I don't want you just to hear my words and take my words for it. I want you to see what the Bible says about Jesus. Colossians chapter 1. After the Gospels, uh, right after Philippians, right after Philippians, Paul writes this letter. In the 15th, chap- uh, the 15th verse of chapter 1, he says this of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Here's the important part here. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, Making peace by the blood of the cross. Making peace by the blood of the cross. Christ reconciled the world to himself on the cross. So that all men would come, that would come, into, would come into belief and faith in his name. For is that the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to the glory of God that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus poured out his love on the cross and enabled us to become, as, as Romans said, and we, we heard it in the epistle reading, heirs, heirs to the promise of God through Jesus Christ. And it is through that spirit, through that action, that we cry, Abba, Father. We are no longer sinners and slaves to sin, but we have been made righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been made righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what ought we do? Colossians again, it says, As we ought to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And this is the important part. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is our job as Christians. This is what we're called to do, to bear fruit and increase our knowledge of God the Father. To bear fruit. Why are we to bear fruit? Well, the Bible tells us in John that it is our bearing fruit. It is our bearing fruit. It is this, when we bear fruit, that God is glorified. When we bear the fruit of the Spirit. When we live righteous and sober lives. When we produce the fruit of the Spirit, God is glorified. God is glorified. This is, this is what it is to be a Christian, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, to walk after the ways of the Lord. And this is what Jesus is talking about in our pericope today, our gospel reading. He's been talking about bearing fruit. He's been talking about a harvest, and he's been talking about wheat and tares. I'm going to say tares. I know the scriptures say weeds, but if I say weeds and wheat together, I'll get tongue-tied. I know some of you may have heard of John Chrysostom, uh, St. John Chrysostom. He's the golden tongue. Well, I am Father Lawrence McElrath, the fat-tongued, uh, and I will trip over my words. So I'm going to use the words wheat and tear, um, but know that wheat and weeds and wheat and tear are, are, are synonymous. So we've been, we've been uh, 
when I was gone, we had a gospel passage when I was away. Uh, and in that passage, Jesus is talking about uh, us bearing fruit interpersonally. And in this passage, he's talking about us bearing fruit corporately. So let me deal with the first part of it, bearing fruit uh, interpersonally. Jesus, last uh, Sunday, you heard, you heard Father Mark Scotton talk about uh, bearing fruit. Um, I had lunch with, uh, lunch with him, so I know that's what he preached. Um, so I'm not just making that up. But he talked about bearing fruit. And in Matthew 13, in the beginning portion of that chapter, uh, Jesus likens the fruit to the word of God, to the kingdom of God. And he said it's been planted, it's been, he scattered it, and it's been planted in our hearts. And for some people, uh, the, word, uh, the word of, and he talks about the soil of the heart. And for some people, when, when Jesus plants, when he scatters the seed, for some people, it doesn't take root at all. For others, it takes, roots, but it takes root, but the word of God is real shallow. And when trouble comes and things like that, the word of God is scorched out. Why? Jesus says in the earlier, in the earlier parts of this chapter, it's because uh, uh, when persecution comes, they're, they're more concerned, people, these people are more concerned with the cares of the world. He says that there's another group of people that when, they, when the seed is sown, uh, they receive it with joy. But they don't intend to, leave, to, to, to live it out. And because of the cares of the world and different things like that, their seed is, is, is uprooted too. And it doesn't produce much fruit. But he said, then there are some, when, when the word of God is preached, they, intend, they not only receive the word of God with joy, but they intend to leave it, live it out. And so when the heat comes and the sun comes and, and trials come and persecutions come, it's the word of God that's down inside of them that has produced the fruit of righteousness they hold on to. Jesus there wants our hearts to be good soil for the word of God. And notice it's the word of God, the seed uh, that, that produces fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. It's not our stuff. It's not our good word. It, it's, it's the word of God that reproduces itself and, and causes us to live a holy and a righteous life. The more, the more you get into the word, the more the word of God gets into you. At least that's what my granny always taught me. And I was struggling and stuff. And she said, she said, baby, get into prayer and let prayer get into you. Then she'd say, baby, get into the word of God and let the word of God get into you. What you put down on the inside of you will come up in trouble. And Jesus is instructing us to put the word of God down on the inside so that when our lives are shaken and everything is being tossed, we have the word of God inside of us and the word of God will remain. So that's what Jesus wanted us to do and wanted, wanted us to know from the first part, interpersonally. But secondly, we get to this gospel passage, and Jesus is talking about uh, the wheat and the tares. And he says that the Son of Man is the one who, so, who throws the seed out and sows the seed. And he likens us, uh, the children, uh, the heirs to the promise of God, uh, he likens us to, to the wheat. He says that the soil in this case, it's not the soil of our hearts, but in this case, it's the soil of the world. And he said an enemy had come in and planted his own kind of seed, these weeds, these people who do not know God, who are sons of uh, not righteousness, but of evil. And he said their father is the evil one, the devil. They are of their father. And so the, he, Jesus is, uh, the, the, the masters of the house come to Jesus and say, hey, what, what, what should we do with this? We've got weeds and, t- and tares growing up, uh, uh, wheat and tares growing up together. What do you want us to do about this? And Jesus says something very interesting. Let them grow together. Let them grow together. 
Why? Because the weeds and the tares, their roots are, interti- are intermingled. They're tied up. They're bound together. And if you try to get rid of the re- weeds, you'll pull up the good stuff. You'll pull up the wheat. And I think that's very important when we think about our role as Christians. What do we do? Our role. And how do we interact with the culture around us? If the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and if, it is going to, it is, it, it, if the gospel is the only thing that will change the world, how, do we, how are we to live in the world? Christ calls us to live in the world, but not to be of the world. So we see a, some relation to that, but how are we to do that? Well, some people may think that uh, we do that by, by, by preaching and, 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 and by beating people over the head with the Bible and going out and evangelizing and doing all these wonderful things. And that's all well and good. But that wasn't Jesus' solution here. Jesus' solution is simply to produce fruit. It's not our job as Christians to try to sort out who, who, who's going to heaven and who's not and look down our spiritual noses and, 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 and think that we're better than the world or, or, or someone else. Because we have this special knowledge and we know Jesus Christ. And we can say, if they would just get their life together, if they would just do this, if they would just do that. That's not our job. Judgment belongs to God. We see that from this pericope. It's not the wheat who's to judge. It's who? Christ, when he comes back. It's his job to sort it all out. But we are tied together. And I think that's very important. Why? Because if the world is going to be saved, It's because they're going to see our fruit. If people are going to come to Jesus Christ, it's because they're going to see the fruit of God, the love of God in your life, and want to change. And want to do and want to know what you know and want to know uh, how you did what you did. And your answer is simple. Jesus Christ. What changed my life? What caused me to produce this fruit and to live this way? The word of God. Jesus Christ. Faith in him. And it's, it's that that testifies. It's that thing, that action, producing fruit, living a life of holiness that, that, that convicts the world. Through love, through, through righteous living, not through judgment. That's not what Jesus tells us to do. And so often we get caught up in that. But judgment belongs to God. We need to let that go. If we're going to be effective in the kingdom of God, we need to focus on producing fruit. And focus on letting the light of Christ shine in us. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that what? Men and women would see your good works and do what? Want to glorify your Father in heaven. We're to bask in the sun and to produce the fruit of righteousness. That's our job. That's our job. Friends, Jesus is coming back. He's on his way. And when he comes back, he's going to come to get a church that is spotless, that is, that is blameless, that is ready to meet him. We will see our Lord face to face. And, he's, and the Bible says that his reward is with him. And on that great day, we want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If that's true, then I challenge you and I invite you to join me and this church and, and the Christians throughout the world in the ministry of reconciliation, but not through judgment, through the lifting up of Jesus Christ. For he said, if I be lifted up, what? I'll draw all men unto me. The gospel is more than enough. John Stott was right. The gospel is attractive. And if we not only preach it, 
but we live it, people would be changed. St. Paul tells us that our lives, our very lives, are living epistles read by all men. And some people won't hear our words because they see the way we live our lives. Far be it from us that, that someone would see our, the way we live our lives and see that we name the name of Jesus Christ and not want anything to do with him. But when they see, the, when they see us and they see the way we live our lives, they ought to be drawn to it. They ought to see the light of Christ in, in us. For it's no longer we that live, but it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And he is attractive. Jesus says, I don't, if you want to tell the world that you're my disciples, don't do it by judgment. He says, do it by love. He says, for it is by love that all men will know that you are my disciples. That you have love one for another. You want to win people? Love them. You want to win people for Christ? You want to evangelize? You want to know what the biggest evangelistic tool you can do? It's not uh, painting a sign. It's not passing out uh, 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 tracts. It's not, it's not inviting people to the church. It's loving them in spite of them because that's what Christ did for us. How did Christ get you? How did Christ win you over? He loved you consistently. Yeah, he saw you. He saw what you were. He saw all of that stuff. And he decided you were worthy, uh, not only of love, but worthy of his life. And so he gave everything he had. The Bible says, no greater love has any man than one who would lay down his life for a friend. That's what Christ calls us to do, to lay down our lives, to set aside judgment in service to God the Father, that he might be glorified. The world might see the light of God in us, see the fruit of the Spirit in us, and want to know more about this Jesus. He's coming, church. He is on his way. The Bible says that the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. Jesus is on his way. We have got to be ready. I pray that when the Lord comes, he would find us about his work, that he would find in us the peaceable fruit of righteousness, yielding 30, 60, and even 100-fold. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.